So I want to talk a little bit before we get into the body of our message about our fascination with heroes in our culture. I mean, we seek out heroes. We seek out people to look at, to look up to, to pattern ourselves after. And we do it many times without even realizing it. Uh, our culture is infatuated with hero worship. What do we look for in those heroes? We look for strength. We look for confidence. We look for abilities. Uh, hopefully we look for some kind of character. And we train little children from an early age to look at heroes and to look up to heroes. Little boys, there's no time in a little boy's life where he feels stronger than when he has his Hulk underwear on. There's something about superheroes that makes them feel strong. It makes them feel like they can do things that they couldn't do without them. And in our culture that looks up to heroes and infatuated with hero worship, we can tend to forget that heroes in many, in many instances are just like us. They're either fairy tales or they're fallen people. And the Bible is full of examples of unlikely heroes. Those unlikely heroes, those unlikely examples are to serve as an example to us. Examples in good deeds, examples in struggles. And so as we walk through Hebrews 11, uh, Sarah is one of those examples. Sarah is one of those unlikely examples, one of those unlikely heroes. She's one of those believers that the world loves. All of her faults are on full display. She's a hypocrite. She's, she's so weak. She doesn't trust God. And many times we feel like that. That because of our frailties, because of our faults, we can't be used. We can't be an example. God could never use us. Now, be honest, I had a little difficulty with this one preparing for Sarah. Because Sarah is not one of the most flattering characters in the Old Testament. Sarah, there's a lot of things attributed to her, and most of them are not really positive. Probably the two things she's most famous for, you don't really want your daughter doing. One of them is she wants a child, and she's 75 years old, between 75 and 90 in that range. And she says, because I can't have a child, I'm going to send in my maidservant to my husband, and maybe he can have a child through Hagar. Terrible marriage advice, never, ever, ever do this. So she takes things into her own hands, and then she gets mad at Hagar, right? She's, she turns against Hagar and this child. This is something she instigated. I mean, this is not an example of faith, right? But then my wife reminded me this week, how many times do we take things into our own hands? How many times do we try to circumvent the promises of God and take them upon ourselves? When we know what God has promised to fulfill in his people. We're not that much different than Sarah in that. Then also, famously, when she hears that God is talking to Abraham and she's snooping, and we're going to get into that in in a minute, and she hears that she's going to have a son, what does she do? She laughs. She laughs at God. Now, Abraham laughed at God too, but she's most notably known for laughing at God when God says, I'm going to give you a child. The God of the universe, the God that called her out of Ur and called her out of Haran and, and, and protected them in the land of the Canaanites, said, I'm going to give you a child. And she laughs. Then I had to think about several years ago, and Sheree and others told me I was going to be a pastor. I laughed. I said, you guys are crazy. Do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done? And that laughter is so much attributed to her that Isaac's name means laughter. And it was to be a reminder, and we'll get into that text as well, that while she laughed, almost doubting God, 
She, she laughed with joy after the sight of her son from her own womb. And also, she's not really recorded saying much positive at all. Sarah is more of a cynical figure in the Old, in the Old Testament. But I've been thinking a lot this week about the situation she's put in. I mean, imagine being this 90 years old in the wilderness. Your husband gets this call and you go with him. You obey him, Peter says, and you, and, and you walk along with him for decades in a tent in the wilderness. God gives this promise. She doesn't have her circle of girlfriends to work this out with. She's got her maidservants. And she feels alone and forgotten by God because in that culture, and, there's, and, and it's something deep within a woman's DNA, that God has created them to love and nurture and raise children. And in that culture, if you were barren, there was this public stigma that would carry you throughout your entire life. And this is where she was when, when she left. But I think what's important to remember when we get into this text and all of these texts throughout Hebrews 11, we're not meant to worship our heroes of faith, especially because they're not perfect. Because if they were perfect, if their faults weren't on display, we'd be tempted to worship them. But what they serve as is examples of who to worship because of who they put their faith in. They weren't perfect, but the one that they trusted is the founder and perfecter of our faith. The one that they ultimately trusted in was their object of faith and should be our object of faith. Let's pray and we'll get into our text. Lord, you are faithful. You are faithful and unchanging. You're good, you're upright and true. All these words that we sung this morning, our shepherd, our fortress, looking forward to our eternal home with you and nothing in this world that should ever satisfy us. Let us those, let those constantly be on our lips and on our heart. Let us be people who trust in you by faith because you are faithful. I just pray that it is evident in this text this morning and that your spirit teaches us and guides us and convicts us in the truth of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So before we get into Hebrews, let's lay this foundation first. So turn with me to Genesis. We're going to look at a few passages. Uh, these are texts we need to be familiar with. We need to know where the roots of our faith come from. Where are the promises of God founded? And we're going to begin in uh, Genesis 17. I'm not going to read, uh, but I want you to, to turn there. I'm just going to give you kind of a, a brief overview of where we are. Genesis 17 is the famous, the famous covenant of circumcision passage. Uh, we're not going to get into circumcision this morning. We didn't get into it last week. Too much to explain, uh, but, but it is kind of fascinating of how God works with his, his people. But the interesting thing about chapter 17 is that the covenant of circumcision is to Abraham's offspring. In the back of his mind, he's still thinking Ishmael the entire time. He's still thinking of his stepson. It's, it's his legitimate son, but it's not through his covenant marriage. And so this promise is still to Abraham's seed, his offspring with his wife. And that's where uh, verse 15 gets in. And it, he, um, the Lord speaks to Abraham directly. The Lord tells him it is going to be through your son, Isaac. And this is where Abraham laughs. He doesn't just laugh. He falls on his face and laughs. Um, so this is Abraham questioning God the same way Sarah questioned God. 
But it wasn't for Abraham's sake, it was for God's sake. And for the promises that he made to him a couple chapters earlier that we looked at last week, that he was going to make him a father of many nations. And so now we're going to pick up in chapter 18, where the Lord himself appears to Abraham. And this is another passage we can't get into, but three men in the... the um, and the appearance of men, and we assume that it's the Lord and two angels, show up at this camp in the wilderness, show up before the tent, and Abraham, like any good ancient Near Eastern host, is preparing a table for them. He's getting food, and he's getting drink, and he's washing their, their feet, and the Lord addresses him with Sarah listening in. And this is where we're going to pick up in chapter 18, verse 9. And they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? This is like one of those questions where God already knows the answer to, like in the garden. Uh, where are you? He knows where you are. And he said, she is in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent behind the door. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of a woman had ceased to be with Sarah. It's exactly what you think it means. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I'm worn out, and my Lord is, is old, shall I have pleasure? That's exactly what you think it means. <laughs> the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I love that line. At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Right after this, Sodom and Gomorrah gets destroyed. We're going to skip forward a little bit. So God again reminds Abraham and Sarah of what he's going to do. And this comes to fruition in chapter 21. So turn to chapter 21 with me. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. And all of this uh, we need to understand before we get to our text in Hebrews. So remember these details. These are important. So chapter 21, verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah, as he said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I've borne him a son in his old age. Amen. God is faithful. One last text, one chapter over in, in uh, chapter 22. Let's look at verse 15. So this is after the account of Abraham and the sacrifice of Isaac, which we're not going to get into because Deshaun's going to look at in two weeks. But look at the response that God gives Abraham after he's faithful to do what God commands. 
And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Amen. God dealt mercifully and patiently with Abraham and Sarah. So now let's look at our text in Hebrews. So hopefully we understand where we're sitting and we're going to pick up in Hebrews 11, starting in verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of the heaven and as as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Yeah. All right. So by faith, as we've seen in every other one of these accounts and every account going forward, it is by faith. And we looked and we talked about all of Sarah's flaws and we read some of those. You know what the beauty about this passage is? It's that the writer of Hebrews doesn't mention any one of those faults. He sees the faith of the believer, not the faults. He sees the faith of the believer, not the faults. And that is true for us in Christ as well. When God sees us, he sees our faith in his son, not his faults. Because for us, when we look in the mirror, all we see is faults. But For God, he sees the righteousness of his son, bought with a price given to us, and our sins placed on him by faith. That's how our God sees us. And it's a good thing to desire faith. And to grow in our faith. Because Paul tells us in Romans that faith is given to us by measure. And faith does grow. And faith does increase when we trust in the Lord. Uh, I had lunch with someone from our congregation this, this week. Um, and he was mentioning to me how helpful this series had been. Because he realized the disconnect in his own life between what he believes. And applying that faith to his daily decisions. And that's so important that our faith is based on the character and nature of God. We can believe these things in our head, but do we put them into practice into every aspect of our daily lives? Are we governed by fear? Sarah herself, for all her flaws, is remembered for her faith. The way the text speaks here, Sarah herself, it's bringing an emphasis uh, probably, probably two things. Probably to the one who, who, who doubted and, and, and who laughed, Sarah herself, but also the connection to Abraham. Because the, the two examples before are Abraham's faith, and she's connected to Abraham. She's not removed from this equation. There's this inseparable connection between the husband and wife. And the call on Abraham doesn't leave Sarah out of the picture. She wasn't just there for her womb. Her faith played an integral role in God's promise. And he used her faith along with his to accomplish his great plan of redemption. So I want you to see this in uh, Isaiah chapter 51. Isaiah 51 gives this great picture of what God was doing and what God will do. I'm just going to read the first three verses. 
Isaiah 51 says, Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father, and Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden. Her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her and thanksgiving and voice and the voice of song. He's not talking about a physical wilderness here. He's talking about the woman who was barren. He's talking about the the people that had no inheritance, that there was no offspring to speak of. God was going to take that barren land and make it like the Garden of Eden. That's how God works. He takes the deadness that is in our soul and breathes springs of life into it. And this is this beautiful picture of Abraham and Sarah together, unified in faith. And it is a beautiful thing when in the midst of covenant marriage, the husband and wife share that faith together. They have faith in the living God who promised to them blessings and offering and and, and offspring. So I think there's something important to touch on here. That The Bible is patriarchal. Two Greek words, uh, father and, and rule. If you look throughout scripture, it is led by the husbands of the family. But it is not misogynistic. Also two Greek words, one who hates women. Many times we are told that you can't have both at the same time. You can't have a culture that is led by fathers and godly men and also love women at the same time. This is one of those passages that shows us exactly that. That Abraham and Sarah were unified. In their faith of the Lord, they were spiritually equal. They were both justified by their faith, even though they're biologically different. We don't come to faith and lose who we are. Sarah still bore the child. Abraham still led and commanded the family as God commanded him. But they were equal in faith. They were equal in belief. And God used both of their faiths to bring about his promises. And this is why we celebrate not only the biological nature of marriage, but the spiritual nature of marriage. Because we know that it looks to Christ in the church. And the way that we serve one another and the way that we respect and love one another is spiritual in nature, not just biological. Because if it's only biological... It'll be dependent on how that other person makes you feel at the moment. But if it is spiritual and it is rooted in the character and nature of Christ and the promises of God, that marriage will be, will be strong and it will stand. And by faith together, the Lord will use and bless both of you. And this is God's design for marriage. This is God's design for men and women that we are to be biologically different but spiritually the same. And it's a good thing. And we should celebrate that. And the writer of Hebrews wants us to celebrate that. John Owen gets this, this concept and in his commentary on Hebrews says this. As Abraham was the father of the faithful, or the church, so she was the mother of it. So as, to distinct, so as the distinct mention of her faith was necessary. She was the free woman from whence the church sprang, Galatians 4, 22 and 23. And all believing women are her daughters, 1 Peter 3, 6. Uh, We're going to look at this passage in Galatians. Turn there for me. In Galatians chapter 4. These messages, this one especially, we're going to be flipping around Scripture quite a bit. Because this is important. I want you to see how this fits into the whole counsel of God. Into how all of Scripture declares what God is doing. 
Something else that's interesting about Sarah is that she is the Old Testament woman who is mentioned most in the New Testament. She plays a prominent role in the way that God deals with his people. She's also the only woman to have her name changed. Her name from Sarai, more of the uh, pagan version of her name, to the Hebraic version of her name, Sarah. She's the only woman in all of scripture whose, whose death is recorded. And in this culture, death was an important thing. And so Sarah is a very important figure. And Paul gets to this in Galatians. And we're going to see this here in Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by the free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing the children of slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as it, just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave but of the free woman. This is such a helpful text in understanding that even though Abraham was to be the father of many nations, he had biological offspring and he had spiritual offspring. Ishmael, the firstborn, was biological. And we looked at this a couple weeks ago where Islam sees Ishmael as their lineage to Abraham. Paul knew then, as we know now, that the seed of the slave woman and the seed of the, of the free woman would have enmity with one another. And even though they are both sons of Abraham biologically, spiritually, only one will inherit the promises of Abraham. And the eternal covenant is not at Sinai according to the law, but at Calvary, according to the blood of Jesus that was spilt, that we put our faith in. And our kingdom is not of this world, like Lot was looking for, like Ishmael built cities. Our home is the new Jerusalem. The Jerusalem of heaven. It was the theme of last week and it will be the theme of next week as well. That's why we, we sing that song, the revelation of Jesus Christ, because we're singing the words of Revelation 21. That heavenly city come down to earth in Christ. And the great news for us is that we are the seed of the free woman and not the slave woman. And Sarah, the other half of that seed with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob going on down the line. The writer of Hebrews says, uh, for by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. It wasn't up to her. It was given to her. And that faith of a mustard seed that can move mountains can also breathe life into things that are dead. Even the womb of, womb of a 90-year-old woman uh, Sir Thomas Aquinas, who, um, I don't know why I said Sir, Thomas Aquinas, uh, talks about the miraculous nature of Sarah's, uh, conception and Hannah's, if you remember 1 Samuel, and Elizabeth, who is older in age, is preparing us 
for the miraculous nature of the birth of Christ. And I think he's exactly right. That God is reminding us that in this most basic of human functions, being fruitful and multiply, that you are not in control. That I am in control. And when there is no other way possible, humanly speaking, I am going to perform a miracle there. So if you can believe that God can breathe life into the womb of a 90-year-old woman, what can't he do? Think about what can't he do. Does that mean if I have enough faith, I can, I could, I could dunk on a 10-foot rim? Eight foot I could get. 10-foot, no. It's never going to happen. And just as a side note, um, Philippians 4.13, a great verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It is not for selfish pursuits. It is in the context of being content in all the things that God has given us. It is being content in our faith in Christ and his strength. That when we trust in him, we want the things that he wants. Not just to put it on my back so I can climb a mountain or finish a race or dunk. That's not what faith is about. Faith is about trusting in the one who gives us strength and loving the things he loves. And finding our strength in him. And I also think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the sensitive nature of conception. And barrenness and the difficulty of Infertility. There is no other place where a woman has to be more dependent on God than in that. When she and her husband together pour out in prayers and tears before the Lord. Because our God is faithful and we can trust his promises. But it is difficult day after day in those seasons. Because birth is such a beautiful thing and such a miraculous thing. And the Lord works so mightily through births. But this is also a very sensitive thing. For us, the most amazing miracle that's ever happened and that sets up the gospel that we live by is the incarnation of Christ. Where he takes the womb of this young girl who had not known a man, but had trusted in the Lord, visited her with an angel, said, I'm going to give you a son. You should call his name Jesus. Kings will come to see him. People will bow down before him. And she worships God. And she trusts God. Even when the culture would have cast her out, she believed the promises of God. And that miracle was the promised offspring singular that Abraham and Sarah were looking forward to, coming out of that line. And conception is so beautiful because our Lord was, was conceived and walked on earth and is the greatest example of what it means to be faithful. So this word here, when they say conceive, by faith Sarah herself re- received power to conceive. This word is a little misleading because in the Greek it's a little more figurative. It's uh, more literally uh, she received a foundation or deposit of offspring. So we're not talking about literal conception, uh, but that's the, the idea that the translators wanted you to get. But it's more about this foundation of posterity. Looking forward to verse 12. She was given a foundation of offspring. There is power in faith. Power to be fruitful and multiply. Power in faith that goes from generation to generation. That power to conceive was not just in, in one birth. But it was in generations after generations of faithful believers in Jesus. By faith, Sarah herself received 
power to conceive, even when she was past the age, means what you think it means, since she considered him faithful who had promised. I love this word, considered. Since she considered. How often do we consider the faithfulness of God? How often do we sit back and meditate on who God is and what he has done? How often do we consider his promises? How often do we praise him for who he is? I love this, this idea of, of considering, of thinking deeply. We're to be people who think deeply. We're not to be people who just breeze through life and never sit down. The meditation that we see in scripture is someone who thoughtfully sits before the word of God and considers who he is and what he's promised. We're to be thoughtful people and to take time considering things. This is used seven different times in, in, in Hebrews. Uh, and, and probably more, but the idea of just consider this, consider this, and it is most often attributed to Christ. Look at chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Still in the same book, Hebrews 3, 1 and 2. Look what the writer says. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Consider Jesus, our hero, our example of faith, who was faithful over all things God gave him, perfectly faithful, and at the same time, perfectly faithful God himself. Look at also chapter 12, verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted, How do we know how to be faithful? We look at Jesus. How do we know how to be encouraged in our faith? We look at Jesus. How do we get strengthened when we are weak and we are weary? We look at what Jesus endured for us. Consider Christ. Consider Christ. Think on the things of Christ. Take every thought captive unto Christ Jesus. There is power in our faith. And there is peace and restoration in considering the nature of God. Just meditating and rejoicing for who he is. Do it. Make it a part of your life. I don't care when it happens. But when you go throughout the day and you see the beauty of creation, you get reminded of the blessings of God and his promises. Consider who he is. Meditate on these things day and night. And the Lord will grow your faith. He will bless you. When I think about this word considered, I think about how many people considered this church dead when I first got here. Heard those words. Barren, past its age. Coming here, I couldn't listen to that. I had to consider the promises of God. This is Jesus' church. He built it. He called me. He will complete it. It's probably one of the greatest exercises of faith I've done in my entire life. Because if you look on the natural, there's, there's no hope. But in the spiritual, our God works and our God is faithful. Consider his promises in all things. So let's move on to verse 12. Therefore, keeping in mind what we just saw in verse 11, therefore, knowing all these things we said about Sarah, therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants 
as many as the stars of the heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. We're back to Abraham again, looking at the one this promise was given to. The promise was given to Abraham for offspring. It wasn't given to Sarah, but by her faith, this was accomplished. And it's beautiful to see those brought together. Uh, I want to turn to Romans chapter 4. And like Deshaun said earlier, we decided uh, to go through Romans. And we're going to look through Romans with an Old Testament focus. How does Romans teach us about what we read in the Old Testament? And so here's a freebie. Romans chapter 4, when when we get there, the work has already been done for you. But I want to to look at Romans chapter 4. We're just going to read uh, verses 19 to 25. Paul latches on to the same concept of consideration. What did Abraham and Sarah consider during this time? And I think it's beautiful and it's helpful to us. Romans 4 verse 19, talking about Abraham here. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Let those be the words that are attributed to us, that we grow strong in our faith as we give glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. We look at the 500th year of the Reformation. This was what what was at stake. Faith in Jesus Christ who was raised to life from the dead for our righteousness, for our justification. And we stand with Abraham and Sarah and Noah and Joshua and Rahab and Moses and everyone who came along afterward, who trusted in the resurrection of Christ. And those throughout the centuries, the brothers and sisters who fought to protect God's word and to defend it. They considered not their own circumstances, but him who raised Christ from the dead. And Abraham was as good as dead. It's a body that by all accounts was no longer functioning. So we must never forget that our God is a God of miracles. Our God can take dead things and bring them to life. Takes dead people out of their sin and brings them to life. Takes our dead biological functions and breathes life into them. And gives more offspring than the stars of the sky and the sand next to the sea. He makes a practice out of turning the impossible into the possible. And through Christ, all things are possible to those who believe. So back in our text in, in Hebrews... I'm going to look at this, this last line here. And it is, uh, we're born many descendants, as many as the stars of the heaven, as many and innumerable as the grains of sand by the seashore. Remember, this is not just one conception. This is not just had the, the, the biological nuclear family at, at view here. The birth of Isaac showed and signified that God was going to be faithful to his promises until a thousand generations and thousands of generations. And I don't know if this is, this is true, 
but I, I, think, it's, I think it's helpful. Uh, this picture of stars and, and sand, some of the early church fathers uh, attributed the, the stars to the spiritual descendants and the sand in the sea to the biological descendants. And there, there, there may be something there. There doesn't have to be. Either way, it's, it's kind of amazing to think about. Everything that has come from Abraham, biological, but spiritual is what we rest in. Because remember, we looked at last week, the true children of Abraham are those who trust and believe in the God that Abraham trusted and believed in, and his righteousness was accounted to him because he trusted in God. And through faith, the spiritual lineage, the children of Abraham by faith are what we are tied to. And Christ is the perfect picture of this. And so thinking about this sermon this week, I've been thinking about the, um, the 500th year of the Reformation. And what does that mean for us today? And realizing there's so many parallels in this text. I mean, those of you who don't know why the Reformation is important. I mean, one, because we would still be under Roman rule and a priest would be wearing a funny hat and we'd be killing Jesus every week. Not a lie, by the way. Um, and, but also, the gospel would be suppressed by indulgences and by things added to faith that were, that, that were meant to keep people under the rule of the church and not to bring them before Christ. Think about all of the parallels to what we talked about this morning. The Roman church was as good as dead. It was dead. There was no life. The gospel was being suppressed. One man, Martin Luther, 1517, on the eve of All Saints Day. So the occasion for the Reformation, which is important, November 1st was the day, what they call All Souls Day, where uh, they were, they were going to roll out all of these new indulgences. So this is, get them, get them while they're hot, right off the presses. You can buy your family out of purgatory. You can buy some of your own sins down. They even were making up new categories, new places for them to sell indulgences. This was going to happen on November 1st. And Luther was just crawling in his skin because he had read scripture. And he had seen that it is by faith that we are saved, not through indulgences. I can't buy my salvation. I have to trust in Jesus Christ. And that one man nailed those 95 theses to the door. Maybe the most important of which, he says, the church's true treasure is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Rome was concerned about its own treasure. They wanted to build basilicas and statues and paintings. Somebody had to pay Michelangelo because he wasn't cheap. But Luther was concerned with the glory of God and his word. And I think Luther felt a lot like Elijah. He says, am I the only one left who has not bowed the knee to Baal? But God, who was faithful, said, no, I have kept 7,000. I have kept people who are faithful to me. You proclaim to them what I have told you. And those who proclaimed the gospel 500 years ago went out into neighborhoods and villages, into the most unlikely of places. Luther's wife, even. One of the great stalwarts of the Reformation. She's in her cloister. You don't get to say that very often. And some of Luther's subversive teaching made her way in, made its way in. And she was converted, convicted, reading the teachings of her soon-to-be husband. Leaves the nunnery. You don't get to say that very often either. And, and becomes 
his, uh, his co-laborer battling alongside him, um, ministering to people, teaching, making beer, all the great things that came out of the Reformation. And, <laughs> and this beautiful picture of saying we are more concerned with glorifying God than, than we are appeasing the powers that be at the time. Being jealous for the name of God. Trusting in the promises that are in God's word. Like Abraham trusted his very word and they trusted the word of God. And we trust the word of God. There are countless spiritual offspring because of that. Because now we are free to worship Christ. We are free to come before him without a priest, without an indulgence, without any, anything else given to us but our faith. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And the same doctrinal concerns exist today. That anything that is added to the gospel should be accursed. Anything that gets into place between someone believing in Christ. If you are adding to someone's salvation, the church needs to be reformed at that point. Just like the Marines, Semper Fi, always faithful. God is always faithful. We are to be always faithful. We are to also be always reforming. Semper Reformanda. Looking back to Scripture. Always looking to God's Word. That's why here every Sunday we will go to Scripture time and time again. We're always going to see what Scripture says first. Because I don't care what the culture does. I don't care what happens around us. God's Word is unchanging like He is unchanging. God's Word is faithful like He is faithful. So how do we conclude this morning? Just a couple things to think about. It is our faith in the promises of God that the Lord sees. Not our faults. Not our frailties. Not our deeds. Can't earn that. Trust and believe. Abraham and Sarah were accredited righteousness because they believed God and they put their trust in his promises. The same is true for us today. It's as simple or as difficult as that. Also, in your daily life, meditate on the character of God and his promises. Take time to consider who God is and what he's done. What he's done to our forefathers, what he's done in your life, and what he's promised to do. Consider those things. Be people who think deeply and deliberately on the things of God. Look to Christ as our example for faith and our hero, not to false heroes in the world. Most importantly, we can be bold. We can live our lives because those promises are true. Because God is faithful. We can walk in faith. Because God is faithful. God is unchanging. His word is powerful. His promises will come to pass no matter what you do to screw it up. Because God is faithful even when we're not. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are amazing. You are awesome in every sense of the word. You are faithful to us. People who are content to be dead and slaves to our sin. But you weren't content to leave us there. 
You have worked miracles in the lives of every person who has come to trust in you. And there are more out there. You have people in this city, Lord. And we just pray that the truth of your word, that those who trust in you will be accredited righteousness. It's true in the Reformation and it is true today. By grace we are saved through faith, not of our own works, so that we can't boast. Lord, let us boast in you. Let us boast in your faithfulness. Let us be like Abraham and Sarah. And look to your promises. Look forward to the fulfillment of all things. Let us be people who walk in faith, Lord. Let us be people who trust you and consider you. Let us be thoughtful people who are so transformed by the gospel that nothing in this world will ever be the same and nothing in this world will ever suffice to the glories and the excellencies of who you are. Lord, let us seek you in all things. Great is your faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray.